0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 124, Mm, Minty, recorded January 5th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that is not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. This week, we're going to have a look, and when I say we, I mean Chris is going to have a look at at the latest it, uh, iteration of Mint, Mint 16. And he will tell us all about it in the six or and a half minutes. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, we were all talking at the same time. And of course, the we who were talking all at the same time is, as always, the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Hey, hey, everybody.
1: How is it out there in internet land? I hope it's warmer than it is here
0: indeed it's it's pretty frosty here but not by your standards i'm sure uh and alongside the the command line scariness that is the godfather we have the gooey goodness that is the the seth the gooey kid anderson hey seth
2: hello mark and just a reminder i am not to be confused with the stay puff marshmallow
0: man not indeed and I am Mark, the Sultan of the soapbox cockerel. I have adopted the name. We're going to call off the search. I like it. That's where we are. The Sultan of the soapbox.
1: Okay, SOS.
0: Yes, it's better than SOL. Um, yeah.
1: So, I will agree. Uh, so there,
0: that, that reminds me. I'm I just a little rant here, a mini rant before we go. I'm climbing onto the, my soapbox. Somebody posted on Facebook. Uh, wanting to know about uh, over-the-counter cold remedies. And all these things came in, and finally I couldn't handle it anymore, and I posted something to the effect of there's no such thing as an over-the-counter cold remedy. If you have a cold, you can mitigate the symptoms. You can use NyQuil. You can use DayQuil. You can use Alka-Seltzer, but you can't cure the cold. And this person then commented, well, I've been sick for two months. If you've been sick for two months, it's not a cold. You have an infection, and it's clear that your body can't fight it off. You need to introduce some outside agent to help you, because in two months, your body hasn't been able to do it. Those are called antibiotics. We've had them since the 40s. Go and get some. And then the colloidal (laughs) silver people got in there and started talking about how colloidal silver is the godsend and it will save you. And it's good for everything from toothaches to pimples to uh, on toast with your breakfast in the morning. Colloidal silver will save you. Colloidal silver is God. And I couldn't let that go because people were wrong in the Internet and they had to be corrected. And so I I said, you know, I'm just – I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that when colloidal silver has been put to lab tests, it's never been shown to do anything, uh, and there are some potential risks of it. So there you go. Isn't and- that the- – and then I signed it okay, by saying, Mar- "I'm climbing see, off my soapbox." Of science. I, I've
2: got to get on to you right there because you went and introduced facts, yes. truth, and I rationale thinking? into an internet discussion <laughs>
0: on Facebook. Has no no place,
2: place. There's no place on the internet for facts, truth, and rationale. Go make a blog post somewhere if you want to do that. Get off of Facebook.
0: <laughs> and there were a couple of other people who who you know backed up, and and one of them even posted a link to WebMD that basically said colloidal silver has never been shown to do anything medicinally valuable at all but it doesn't matter facts don't matter to these people their great grandma said colloidal silver will cure a toothache and a hangover and impotence and will make you pregnant so we're going to use it
1: there you go well if it does all that as it be- must be true <laughs> as my
2: dad would say <laughs> it's like chicken soup to a dead man it can't hurt anything <laughs>
0: <laughs> but actually it can hurt. It's the the risks are pretty low. One of the one of the major things is it can tint your skin. It can uh, you, you can actually turn blue from it. But that's massive that's exposure I over a long period of time. But anyway.
1: I was just going to ask if that's the blue skin thing. Yes. If you take too much you turn blue like a smurf.
0: So anyway, that was me being on my soapbox of science. And so once I once I signed it S- climbing off my soapbox of science, I realized Sultan of the Soapbox is, in fact, my true name. It was, it's the name my gr- my mother should have given me on my birth certificate. <laughs> Mark, you blinded me with science. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many more weird science references we can
1: get into oh, the show.
0: You know, it it won't take long. Um, <laughs> it's a ceremonial thing. <laughs> so, anyway.
2: Uh. Um, These are earbuds and not a bra. I just want to make that clear.
0: (laughs) That's a Persian missile. Anyway, moving right along. So, yes, it is cold all across the U.S. right now. Uh, I was uh, complaining to Chris before we went on the the air that the projected low tomorrow night here in Atlanta is negative four degrees. Now, even the stalwart Eskimos in southern Canada where Chris lives would agree that negative four is cold. But he had to one-up me. And he had to one up me by telling me that his current <laughs> temperature is
1: Um let's see. Well should I look it up again really quick just to make sure, or should I give the projected?
0: Uh just whatever.
1: Okay. Just uh well, just keep the, the moving, the, keep the show moving, Chris. Just keep the show moving. All right. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> the the current weather is like uh mm, I think with the if we go with the wind, we'll be at negative sixty. Without the wind, it's like minus fifteen. So yeah, it's a little cold up here. With a projected so low the, of,
0: like, minus 40, right?
1: A projected low of, of, in my particular area, is 47-ish. Nice. So, yeah, Um for the first time ever that I can ever, ever remember, school has been canceled due to weather, as in cold chill. This is the first time ever, I think, I, I don't ever remember another day for the schools to be closed, but... We have one to t- tomorrow. I'm in. I'm shocked and awe. I'm just
0: That's shocked. once again proving that Al Gore was right.
2: <laughs> well, you know, but Chris, isn't that like a? It's like a dry cold, right? So it's not as bad as <laughs> like a wet cold.
1: No, no, no. Any cold that's is dog cold. Noses. I don't care. The dry, yeah, something like cold. that. Cold.
0: That's a dog nose. That's that's different. I, I personally, I've never been a big fan of the whole wind chill thing. Yeah, I mean, if it's negative 40, you don't need to quote wind chill, right? And heat index, too. You know, in Texas, it's 110 degrees. And then they bring it. well, with the heat, I don't need a heat index. It's 110 degrees. Why are we even having right. this conversation?
2: Well, the problem, at least well, because it was otherwise, cold. the weatherman could just take off like six months. That's true. You know, they, they got to have something <laughs> to talk about.
1: Well, the, I don't know about how much heat index works, but I know with wind chill, it does make play a big factor in uh, how fast you or how long you can be outside before, True. you know, bits of you will fall off. So
0: <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's the bits of you will <laughs> fall off index. I think if they called it that, people would pay more attention to it. The fall oh, off bits index.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, minus 60 though is. It's, it, or even minus 50, for that matter, is uh, it's way, yeah. way too cold.
0: I think minus I think anything is way, way <laughs> too right. cold. There's a reason <laughs> that the scale is on the plus and the minus side. We don't want to be on the minus side. Um, uh, anyway. And that would be anyway. even worse uh, Fahrenheit or wait, centigrade, that other one. So anyway, tomorrow for, for I think all three of us is back nope, to work day. Well, yours no. because of the weather.
1: Well, no, and no, my, my kids started back second, up last so. week. Okay.
0: Oh, so you guys already started. So it's just me. See, I was saying yep. to somebody earlier uh, today, I think that this is the longest break I've had from work since middle school. Um, <laughs> I, I, took, I had 16 days off, counting weekends and everything. Um, I, don't, I literally don't think I've ever taken 16 days off since I started working part-time jobs in high school. So it was awesome, but at the same time, I started looking for projects. I was getting bored. Um, <laughs> and it, it makes me wonder what retirement is going to be like. I mean, th- what what do you do on day 116? I would go stir crazy. Uh, so I'm ready to go back to work uh, after my 16 days off at the uh, end of the year and the beginning of the new year. Um, and so those of you who are uh, have been back to work or just now starting, uh, we uh, we feel your pain, but... Life goes on.
1: I wish I had 16 days off. That'd be nice. I could think of a lot of things I would do in 16 days. You
0: know, you think that, right? But by day 10, I was pretty bored. Um, You know, and it's, you know, family time is nice, but not that nice. And, you know, <laughs> and you, you sleep weight and that's awesome for a while. And then it's like, okay, I'm all caught up on my sleep now what um because once you you know you think i can sleep 15 hours it's awesome and you can for a few days and then your body gets caught up and you can't do that anymore you you, yeah you know at at seven o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning your body wakes up all right i'm done this is two hours later than i would ordinarily be up let's go do something but i'm on vacation i don't care let's go do something anyway um one quick comment, great football this weekend. Playoffs began yesterday, uh, two games yesterday, two games today, and they were all great games, not a bad game, one. So if you're a football lover, tis the season.
2: I miss the end. Did the uh, the 49ers win?
0: Yep, 49ers uh, basically drove down, took up all the time on the clock, kicked a field goal, end of game. Ah, crap. Yeah, so be it. And the, uh, the Colts yeah. should have lost. But managed to pull it out. Um,
1: pull it out, huh? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I
0: was trying to find a way to transition yeah, that into the next too. one, but I can't just can't do, do it. The file server is dead. Long live the file server. Let's let's raise a yeah. cask, a flagon in honor of the f- once and future fallen comrade, or something.
1: Yeah, um, that that goes to homage to my file server this week. Um, I had one of the nasty bugs that I was in the file server system I was in, and a reason to make sure that you always have good backups before you know anything could be going wrong or possibly going wrong, because my file server went out and overwrote all of my drives oh. as it went down.
0: So the the raid took, it, tank, took a tank di- dive as well?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it... it it's bad. I don't know how bad of or how much I lost, but it was three terabytes, and now it's zero terabytes.
0: That's not good. No. That's no, approximately it's not. three terabytes, Chris. <laughs> I don't know if you were aware of this. <laughs> so what I recommend is that you run FSCK on it and then never see any of that data ever again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because that'll fix it right up. No, I'm... I haven't done a full diagnostics on the drives to see if there's anything even remotely recoverable because, like I said, it wrote, it zeroed out the drives when it died. Wow. So, well, did, yeah. did it zero out the whole drive or did it just do the yes. quick
2: format overwrite the first letter thing?
1: No, no, no it's zeroed because I was wondering, <laughs> I noticed some weird activity on the drives, right? Because I have the file server next to over the, on the other side of the room. And I noticed the hard drive light was on, you know, the activity lights were burning up of storm the other day. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. And then I wrote it off to something updating because I have um, a couple of programs. They back up to the file server and they go off at random intervals so that way they are updated. And I just took it out to the thought that, oh, well, maybe, you know, a couple of the programs are f- running at the same time and writing to the drives. not a big deal until I went to access the drive, the file server the next day and went huh there's nothing there and I looked at the file you know size available and it was the full size and I went oh that, that that's not good when it says that all three terabytes are available because there should be almost nothing available I don't and so I, I pulled even, the drives out I
0: can't even imagine what would caused that to happen i mean how do you accidentally zero a hard drive i don't know
1: that that's the thing is i don't understand what it was um i think you know, I'd be i thought maybe
0: with a hex editor or something and see like seth said if the data is really gone
1: yeah i that's that's i haven't gone that far yet i have the drives out um of the file server itself so that way i can independently view each drive um but so far there's nothing there. There's not even a file table. You were so, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was something. Maybe it's just but, yeah, I'm,
0: from that whatever virus that does that. I thought it would I
1: thought it could be BitLocker, but that
0: one.
1: Yeah. yeah, there there's nothing there's no windows attached to that file server. It's just my Linux box. Hmm. So, so what, what kind I, of I, I share is it? I mean, it was a Samba share. I mean, what, but it, what it's kind password, of file
0: system is what I meant to say. It's Unraid. Okay. Oh. So were you running a JBOD array?
1: No, it was a parody. Okay. A parody disks. Wow. So that that's why I'm I'm so I'm I'm wondering what's going on. I have a support thing into the the developer guys to see if I was just caught with a bug or or what. Um, but yeah, nothing yet, and I'm wondering if it was just. A random, you know, how's that thing go? The a bunch of bad things that happened all at once. A cluster, anyway. I, <laughs> no, that's different. Yeah,
0: uh, so a anyway. cluster um,
1: flop, a sequence, a sequence of unfortunate events. That's what I was looking for. I'm going
0: it. snicket. Um, for those of you watching on YouTube, I apologize for forgetting to click the record button uh f- until 15 minutes in but trust me you didn't miss a whole lot um, <laughs> but since this is a linux show that's not about linux let's talk a little bit about windows 8
2: well i bought um you know I, i'm i'm a i'm a cheapskate i'm not marks the tight wide i'm a cheapskate so i found a windows 8 tablet that was a pretty good price uh, like a cyber monday kind of deal so i bought it and it took a couple of weeks to get there but i've been playing with it and of course if you have windows 8 the first thing you should do is go and install classic shell so you have a usable desktop but i mean i gotta say i really want to bash it just because i love to make fun of windows 8 even more than i love to make fun of vista but it's it's not bad Um, the, the, the formerly known as Metro interface is really not bad for touch and the desktop is really not bad. I mean, you know, just some minor tweaks I would change, but all in all, I, with 8.1, I mean, it has 8.1. Um, it, it's pretty good with a touch with a touch. Uh, if you have a touch interface and you do the classic shell to get a usable desktop, I gotta say windows eight doesn't suck i i I mean I'll still make fun of it, but it doesn't suck so there you go that's my windows review
0: you know I've often said of of windows eight and um of uh unity as well that their tablet OS is shoved onto a desktop and uh, and i've heard your i've heard that same story from a, a number of people seth that on a machine with a touch interface windows eight is good on a machine with a keyboard and mouse it's infuriating
2: yeah that's yep, why that's, you know before i even used it i went to a nine because it's a i'm using it at home no business use on it so i'm legal to do that and you know i load up everything uh do my malware bytes my avg my fire my foxit pdf reader firefox all that kind of stuff and um i went ahead and i got classic shell and you know, when I'm in the desktop, the desktop functions like a Windows Seven, and then when I go to the other one, it it works pretty decent. All right,
1: yeah, I've heard that before too. Um, so I'm, it's interesting to see how the tabletification of the OS is still moving right along and still seems to be doing a good thing.
0: By the way, when you say tabletification of the OS, you have to say copyright Mark Cockrell, 2011. It's required.
1: I figured I'd let you do that.
2: <laughs> well, I, I look at it I, this way. You know, in the cars, you went from standard to automatic. You know, we're kind of going from keyboard and mouse to touch. Um, it's, yeah, you but it's still not- get... You could still get... Like today, you can still get a standard. And if you can use a standard, you can get more out of it. But for most people, all they need is automatic. And it's kind of the same thing. I reject I mean, your analogy. I reject your analogy.
0: Um, that, that would be true if the standard transmission went half the speed, used four times as much gas, and um, broke down every six minutes. Uh, The the touch interfaces just aren't as good. Period. End of sentence. They're just not as good.
2: Well, and the first automatics just weren't as good either.
0: Yeah. And, And yeah, when they get better, I'll be on board with them. But they're not. And I don't know that they're going to be anytime soon.
1: I think we'll end up with a different paradigm before touch makes it is a big thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, with things like eye tracking and, and uh, facial recognition, I mean, you'll be able to, and voice recognition, oh, although voice is terrible. It's a terrible way to interface with your uh, computer in mass. It's a great way to interface with your computer when you're alone. Uh, but yeah, a, yeah. a, a, a data center... With a voice-activated computer, never going to happen. Uh, anyway, we, we've had this discussion many, many times. Go back and listen to other shows. My rants will be the same, I promise. <laughs> um, but for now, let's move on to a little bit of listener feedback. And I say a little bit because it's just that. We have one email and one forum post. I don't ordinarily do forum posts, but this one was... Something that caught my attention, so I wanted to address it on the show. But beginning first with Leo, who sent an email asking about Java. He says, Dear Everyday Linux hosts, I got a GuruPlug Plug Server Plus as a gift and wanted to make a Minecraft server on it. My dad had previously owned it and installed Debian 5 a few years ago. I need to install Java due to Minecraft being Java-based, but it keeps failing. I need a fix. Should I reinstall Debian or get an OS, another OS? If so, how do I do that? The reason it keeps failing, Leo, is that you're trying to shove a new version of Java onto an ancient OS. Debian is up to seven point three. If you're still running five point oh, yeah. Woof. Uh, I also, you you don't seem like a super technical user, um, so I'm gonna say don't do Debian. Uh, perhaps the top the discussion uh, point, uh, topic of the show tonight, Mint might be better suited for you. Uh, I think. If I remember correctly, it comes with Java installed already. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, it's a it's a simple thing to add. So yes, definitely scrap Debian 5. Uh you're gonna want something more modern. And I would look at mint or uh second to mint. Um again, I, I'm I'm making an assumption based on the 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 question, how do I do that? How do I install another OS? That you're probably not a super technical user. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Mint on this one and say that's where you need to go. And how do I do it? You go to uh, Mint.com, is it? You, it's Google Mint OS. Um, I can't even remember the address. Um, they'll the you'll download an ISO Linux LinuxMint.com, Linux Thank you. You'll uh, download an ISO. You'll burn that to a DVD. You'll put it in. Tell it to reboot from the DVD. And point and click. I think last time I did it, Chris can tell us what it is. Uh, currently, but the last time I did it, I think it was a five click process. Uh it's pretty darn simple. So that's that's my advice to you guys. You have anything else to add? Mint's um
1: good. I would I would say that works, but I would definitely double check if he's making a Linux a Minecraft server, um, he definitely needs to go make sure that he meets the minimum requirements for a server. Good point. If he's just if he's just doing it as a client, um, I would definitely go double-check to make sure that you meet um, all the minimum requirements for running it on um, a, a Linux machine. I know my son, when he tries to play his Minecraft on my Linux box, it's buggy. So go double-check it. Make sure that things are set up right and that you... F- I'm sure there's probably a forum post or a, a step-by-step how-to install Minecraft into a Linux machine. But definitely get off a of Debian, especially that old of a version of Debian, and get into a newer operating system that would probably fix most of your issues.
0: Oh, I just googled what a Guru plug server is. It's uh, it's sort of like a pogo plug. Uh, it's a it's a box, uh, self-contained in itself with a couple of nicks and a couple of USB. So you're not going to be able to slap a a DVD on it. But assuming I've never heard of this thing, I honestly don't know anything about it. But assuming that once you get a keyboard and mouse and and everything hooked up to it, hooked up to it, you can get to the regular boot screens, then you should be able to have no issue running uh, putting um, mint the mint iOS ISO on a uh, pen drive using something like Woobie. Um The yeah. instructions will all be there on the on the mint site how to do that. Uh, plug it into a USB stick, have it boot from that USB. Yeah, I've, I'd never heard of a Guru plug. I just Googled it. It probably sh- would have been something I should have done before I actually started addressing him. But it looks like it's about a 10-inch cube. Uh, that, yeah, uh, there's
1: not much to it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, now we're going back to Chris's point. Need to make sure it's got the specs. Uh, this is going to be a fanless box. Uh, your storage, if it's got integrated storage, is probably going to run off a, a USB stick. So I would seriously check to make sure you're going to have, because Java is not CPU-friendly. It's not RAM-friendly yeah. either. Uh, so definitely in, check the specs on that.
1: In Minecraft, we'll eat machines alive that are, you know, I, my son's got it on a dual-core machine, and it's taxing when it runs. So um, you might be looking at the wrong wrong thing for this little guy to run. Um, this would be more like of a file server, like a Pogo plug, or... Uh-huh. Um, you could use it as a router if it's got the dual USB or dual NICs on it. That would be a, it would be a good little router to play with. But so uh, if, if we got any listeners
0: out there who are familiar with the Guru plug, let let us know. Let's answer Leo's question. Um, but yeah. I think he's gonna.
1: I don't think it's gonna do much for Minecraft unless he's you know unless it's a Minecraft server. It might do Minecraft server okay because Minecraft the server side isn't as heavy. But uh,
0: yeah, well, that's what he said. He wants Minecraft server. I just don't know what the specs are for Minecraft. I, can I? Can I be honest with you? I've never seen Minecraft. Um, Aaron, friend of the show, uh, uses Minecraft on his phone. He showed me his his uh, phone edition. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I know nothing about Minecraft. So I'm, yeah, I'm professing um, my ignorance to the world.
1: <laughs> I would definitely definitely double check everything make sure that things match up um because if if it's comes you know depending on which version it is you know there's some pretty big differences between each version too so do some homework before you start you know you can still tinker with it but do some homework before you figure you know while you're doing it to make sure that you're not going to brick it or you know burn it out because it it could be done
0: all right so I, i'm just Gr- browsing the Minecraft wiki here, there's apparently two versions: survival and classic. Um, I'm looking at the uh, specs, and I'm not going to be able to do it seamlessly as we talk. So, yeah, I'm just going to leave that to you. Oh, here we go. Uh, more memory, the better. Recommended, you have at least three gigs. Uh, Ooh. Does, does your Does your Pogo uh, Guru Plug Plus have that? Minimum requirements. Uh, For two to four players, is an Intel Core 2 Duo uh, with two gigs of RAM and 150 megs. Uh, Recommended for two to six players is uh, three gigs of RAM um, and at least 200 megs.
2: As old as this Guru plug is, I can tell you right now it ain't going to have that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, The answer is probably not going to happen, but give it a try and let us know.
1: Yeah, play with it. See what. See if you if you can't get it to work. At least see if you can figure out something else for it, and let us know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what else you could do with that thing. Um, because you know it, it's not a very big device. It would make a pretty. It, it looks a lot like a Raspberry Pi that's been bundled together already. Mm. For for specs and and layout.
0: All right, Leo. That's the best we can offer you. So we're going to move on to a fellow who calls himself the Tech Trucker. And he wants to know how to get along with Linux geeks. (laughs) Wish I could tell you. Um, He says, you stated in a previous episode that you don't need to be a programmer to contribute to an open source project. My wife is a graphic designer and wishes to do a little resume padding. I recommended she look into contributing to an open source project. When it comes to functionality, functionality, open source software is incredible. Unfortunately, most of it looks like sin. OpenOffice comes to mind. Uh, I'm sure you can think of tons, of tons of software that's similar. When attempting to find a group to join, we found it was like questing for the Holy Grail. Imagine submitting a request to the snarky, dark lord of Linux coding requesting to help out. Unfortunately, everyone is not as nice of Gabriela, of, um, uh, what was that Linux Salient distro? OS. Thank you, Salento OS. Um, uh, in one case, we were told that the program doesn't need to look pretty. Just work. In another case, we were told to start our own open source project. Please tell me <laughs> there's an easier way. Thank you for the information and entertainment. Love the show. Uh, well, Tech Trucker, you have, have stumbled onto the truth of the internet. The reason people are good at coding is because they're not good at people. uh <laughs> it's it's a different it's a different skill set I, I often refer to sliders in the brain right you can like when you're leveling up a character on a video game you can <laughs> give him speed but that makes him dumb or you can give him strength but that makes him slow or you can be a good coder but that makes you a bad people person you can be a good people person but that makes you a bad coder um <laughs> there's some overlap yeah, you, but not a lot
2: yeah you're either a coder or you're a manager so <laughs>
0: Yeah. Coders <laughs> code
2: and managers tell the coders what to code because yeah. <laughs> they can't do it themselves. Uh,
0: so, um, you know, your, your your experience is sadly not unique. I wish it were unique. I wish it were unusual, but it's not. Um, it is very common for um, you know the the B O F H to uh, tell you where to go, and and you know it's just it's just the way it is. Um, what I might suggest. And, and, and let's say, let's take OpenOffice because you meant, uh, mentioned it. Uh, I did I did this actually with LibreOffice just out of curiosity. Go download their source code. It's not hard. Uh, so I downloaded LibreOffice's source code. And in the, the tarball, once I unzipped everything, had it all open, there were several folders for icons and images. So what you, your wife could do is take those, look at what's there, make them better, and then submit the whole folder. To the the uh, community and say, look, I've done the work here. All you got to drop the, do is drop this into your folder, and you'll have an, a complete new icon set. Um, that's that's the kind of stuff they respond to. But coders help those who help themselves. Yeah. Um, uh, if you say you say you, uh, well, that's really how Mint um, burst onto the scene was. Uh, they were the first non-commercial Linux OS and maybe the first Linux OS period uh, to have a real graphic designer work for him. And, and there was uh, you know a guy, a graphic designer looking for somebody to help. Linux Mint was there. And so he made it all slick and pretty. Uh, so maybe that's what you do. Maybe you go to your favorite distro of choice and you start banging out uh, desktop wallpapers and icon theme sets. And those things are not easy. Nobody wants to do them um you know programmers that's why things look ugly cuz programmers they have that mindset it doesn't have to be pretty it just has to work any anybody who wants pretty is on a mac right they're not they're not coding linux sorry i'm just being honest uh, if you're concerned about pretty you're not using linux so th- that's you know that's where you got to go you got to take um uh, you got take the bull by the horns do the work first find something that interests you do the work and then submit it and hope. And and unfortunately there's no guarantee that they'll ever use anything, but that's the way open source is. There's never a guarantee. You submit it and hope for the best. There are lots of, you know, kernel patches that Linus has has rejected and guys who spent hours on them and he just said no. It's just the way it is in the open source world.
1: Yeah. I would say um very similar on that idea, but I would say if you're looking for an open source um place to help you know, maybe looking to to start at a place that's a little more newbie or not newbie friendly, but um, looking for a, a distribution that has a, the groundwork or framework already for people that come and help such, you know, and I'm going to wave my Fedora flag here a little bit. The Fedora company has framework already in place for ambassadors and graphics designers to sign in and to get their feet wet and, and guidance on how to help sites like this. So you might want to go take a look at the Fedora project and at least go look through their um, how to help with graphic design and ambassadorship so that way you at least get an idea of where to go and what to say and what to do as well. Um, yeah. I know the Fedora guys are always looking for people to help. Um, be it with uh, word of mouth or coders or graphic designers. So, and also, that,
0: w- I'm sorry, Chris, I I didn't. I thought you were done. When you're looking for somebody to talk to, well, particularly in a smaller project, talk to the maintainer of the project, not just a guy in the forums. If the you just threw room, a yeah. forum post up there, yeah, good luck. Anybody, it's gonna flame bait. <laughs> yeah, um, it's flame bait. So find the the, the maintainer's email address. Send it directly to him, and he'll say, "Oh, I've been looking for a designer. That turd in the chat room doesn't speak for me. Yes, I'll be happy to let you help." So that that may happen.
1: Yeah, you know, and it never hurt, and never hurts to ask. Um, I know I can only speak for the the experience I've had with Fedora, but I know when I first started as the, one of their ambassadors, I didn't have a clue what to do. And there were people in there, and especially now, they've actually gone through and set up, um, not apprenticeships, but s- something similar to it, where you have a guiding light on how to do stuff. So you can actually ask them, Hey, this is, I'm new. You're my, um, I can't think of the word. What, what, what I need to do to help? And so they, they guide you into the system, into helping and how to ask for help and where to even start. So, Again, I'm waving my fedora fi- my my fedora flag, but you know there are worse places to go work or to go help out like Ubuntu.
0: <laughs> All right, just a quick uh, uh, breaking news update: Kung Fury, as of the recording of this show, is at four hundred forty thousand dollars. It's stalled there it was just over 400 last week so it's it's gained you know forty thousand, but it's got a long way to go we need to get it to a mil- million we need to the internet needs this movie google kung fury it's all over the place go and pledge 50 bucks do it that's an order <laughs> <laughs> all right uh seth anything you wanted to say about helping out
2: no, I mean y'all did such a great job in covering that. I'll uh, maintain my witty banter for a slower part of the show.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of slower part of the shows, here we go. Uh, the tech news, as it is, and uh, in in, it's almost becoming comical now. How many new NSA security stories are are coming out? And so here we go. We're leading off with yet another one.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say that the NSA is just the one who got caught. Don't think for a minute that if you're listening to this in another country, that your country isn't doing something similar. You know, they might not be doing it to the amount of the NSA because they don't have the money to go in debt as much as America does. But Every country does this. So anyway, um, this story I found uh, on The Verge where apparently if the NSA wants to get you, and again, they're not doing this for everything. You know, this isn't some type of phishing thing, but think of this as spear phishing. They will intercept laptop or hardware that you purchase online and install custom malware that I would assume would evade detection of regular like you know avg or semantic or mcafee and so you buy something from Newegg or amazon or best buy or whatever you have it shipped to you and you're getting the thing but instead it has a little extra chip put in it or something and so now they have you know a key logger in your network or you know just a little built-in router in your network or whatever so um it's from The Verge, and it's a report from Der Spiegel, which and it's based on internal NSA documents that apparently their elite hacking unit does this. And again... You know, they don't have some big clandestine shipping warehouse where every piece of hardware comes through. They modify, but if they're after a specific target, they will intercept their, um, they will intercept packages sent to them and do what they call a hardware implant that secretly provides the NSA with remote access to the compromised machine. And if you think about that, that
0: is actually super easy to do. Any major hardware manufacturer is going to ship by UPS, USPS, or FedEx. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. There are other carriers in the world, but but you know, f- laptop manufacturers aren't going to use them. They're going to have their corporate FedEx account. So yeah. you go to FedEx and say, "Here's a less, l- list of fifty people. We want to want you to deliver everything to these fifty people to us first, and then we'll send it on." I mean. Of course they do and, that. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's that's what a, I would it's do. It's
2: a federal government. They don't have a choice, right? You know, if they want to operate in America under American rules, they have to do it,
0: and can't say anything about it. That's one of the one of the things. Is not only do you have to comply, but you can't tell anybody that you complied. So
2: I wonder yeah, if I, that's I, why my package was so late.
0: Yeah, that's what it is. You're on the <laughs> list, Seth. Uh-oh. Well
2: tells you what they know they can't get anything out of my bandwidth at home i'm
0: saying (laughs) they're gonna have to wait till you ship it to somebody else again yeah no kidding um so yeah this yes it's news but it's not surprising it makes perfect sense to me it's um it's what i would do you know if i'm trying to intercept something yeah there's only a handful of people that handle that stuff and i'm their government (laughs) yeah no kidding yeah okay and now moving on with the steam os leading the charge (laughs) linux usage is now up to one percent
2: well yeah it's actually up to 1.1 percent um apparently but you know again steam the steam box and the steam os just released so hopefully this number will go up. You know, Valve has continually reiterated their commitment to Linux. I think they're like members of the Linux foundation and several other things, but yet, you know, the biggest thing in them is, uh, their biggest user is Windows seven, 64% accounts for over half of, uh, steam usage. And then regular Windows seven is another over 12% of that. The highest, um, Linux thing showing up is um, Ubuntu 13.10, 64% at just under 0.4%. So even Mac OS has a much larger market share than Linux. So, but, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see the Linux Steam OS show up on their hardware survey in some point in the near future and then we'll see the linux thing begin to grow
0: right which is of course misleading because anybody who's used uh steam on linux prior to this point has done it through wine which reports back to the 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 office that it's windows so they though that's masked they would never actually know that and is there a full Linux client yet? I know there's the Steam box that runs on Linux, but have they released a full Linux client for yeah. Steam OS? Yeah, okay. For Steam? yes. Okay, I couldn't remember. So, yeah, it's it's climbing. It's at 1%. That 1%, probably, I'm going to guess, w- Linux probably represents 6% in reality. Totally made that up. Uh, but I know that there are a lot of, a lot of Steam u- users on Linux but they have to lie and tell them that they're using Windows, and the last yeah. I checked anyway, the Linux client wasn't as stable as running it on wine. So there's a lot of people still doing that, I'm sure.
1: Well, the other problem that they run into when you're running Steam on Linux, if you you know, depending on which if you're doing it through wine or just native, the game support still isn't the same. right. So you have a lot of games that if you want to play on Linux, you have to run them through wine. For like DirectX or, or things of that sort. So it's coming. It's just, it's slow because it's a big behemoth. It's like Windows. You, it, it's not a rapid change. It's going to be a slow process over a long period of time. And as long as that Linux number keeps climbing, that's all we can hope for.
0: Okay, moving right along in our news, we've talked about a, a relatively new upstart in the web server world called NGINX before, uh, uh, but Ubuntu is throwing their weight behind NGINX, kind of. They're at least saying they're going to put it in their repository by default.
2: Yeah, so you won't have to go through anything special to add it. Like You can get it in there now, but what they're going to do is they're going to put it at the same level that like Apache would be. So, you know, they're not like saying we're dissing Apache. They're just saying we're making our table a little bit bigger. So more people can come have a seat at it. And I think, you know, it's a good move. One, it'll bring, you know, Maybe it'll force Apache to get better. Not that Apache's bad now, but you know, competition is always good for the market. So if here comes another web server that is meaner and leaner than Apache, then Apache will have to get meaner and leaner to compete, or it'll become, you know, Corel Office or uh something like that, <laughs> yeah. or Novell Networking Systems, something that used to be great and people uh, full of internet history remember it, but it's relegated to the bygone years
0: and you know from from all reports uh, nginx is um well supported it's not as well supported as apache but it's blazing fast uh and speed speed is the new differentiator as more and more people get broadband and get significant broadband you know google um is causing uh people to really pay attention to that austin texas right now the i think it's time warner cable there uh, scared by Google, has said that they're going to offer gigabit gigabit internet to their clients this summer. Uh, so you know, as as broadband speeds increase, the speed of your server becomes even more important. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Apache has a lot of legacy code out there, and that happens a lot. Something that is is well supported and big uh, has has a hard time adapting. I hope that doesn't happen to adap- Apache, but it won't break my heart if it does. I just don't want to have to go learn a new set of mods and scripts and stuff. Uh but that's just me being old and, and cantankerous. <laughs> so here's to you, Nginx.
1: Um we hope you take over. Possibly. <laughs> Maybe. Not really.
0: And uh we we've this seems to be a recurring topic around here, and that's your your little blue box routers. Uh, having spyware built into them, and well, here's yet another backdoor in your wireless DSL routers. Uh, but it it only works from the inside out.
2: Well, um, that was the original story, but apparently they've also found that some of these routers the backdoor is open on the internet side as well. Um, the story broke, you know, and we've talked about it before, but apparently there's a flaw. In many, many blue routers, um, where, and blue box kind of, you know, Belkin, uh, D link links those kind of things where if someone gets inside your network, they can execute a command to your router that would cause it to reset to factory norms, at which case they know the factory passwords and then they can access your router and they can be the admin of it and do whatever, um, you know, like, um, this is kind of related to this. I was called to somebody's house because their internet was all hosed and it wouldn't, it wasn't working right. And what had happened was they had never changed their default password and their router had got hacked and it would redirect search engines. So like you could go to Google's website, but it would go to whatever companies right. you know it would show google but it wasn't and you couldn't go to any security website so you know mcafee wouldn't update uh avg no, no security software would update well you know luckily i brought over my security on a stick and i reset the router and got everything up and going um but that's what this can do uh links firmware can get in there and i mean it, it's technical stuff but if you Here's, want to go, click on. Go ahead. Use
0: my favorite sentence in in this article, you you are only going to hear a sentence like this on Ars Technica. So Beacon downloaded a copy of the Linux firmware and commenced reverse engineering the binary MIPS code. Well, of course, why wouldn't he? <laughs>
2: Everybody does that around here. <laughs>
0: um. So yeah, this is super technical, but if you know what you're doing, um, port thirty two set. Uh, 32.764 is a TCP port that ordinarily, uh, ports above 1024, um, most firewalls have those blocked unless you open them. But this one uh, is responding, and what he found is that he can respond, uh, he can send commands in the, without being authenticated. Hmm. Um, you know, what can he do? That's yet to be determined. But, but basically... Um, it looks to me like sloppy coding, Like maybe it was a a, a, um, a troubleshooting fix. We're, we're going to see. We need a way to test this. So we're going to turn this on. Let's be sure to take this out before we send it to production. Oh, and Jim it just doesn't work happened. here anymore. He forgot to do that.
2: Right. You know, and again, this is a big deal because a lot of people, these are like the combo wireless routers that you would get from like your DSL or cable company, you know, when you, you, you can buy the regular router or for an extra five bucks a month, they'll throw in a wireless router and you can have a wireless network. Well, turns out, you know, voila, complete with uh, built-in vulnerabilities. So, <laughs> you, you know, some places you have to pay extra for that. And apparently your DSL and cable companies are one of them.
0: All right, and in an update to a story we talked about uh, a little while ago with the whole net neutrality thing, uh, the FCC Federal Communications Commission has finally stepped in and told AT&T they can't double dip.
1: Well, that's good.
2: Yeah, AT&T was, um, they were going to raise the amount that, like, backbone player... Payers' backbone providers would pay. So, for example, uh if you buy service from Sprint, well, you know, if Sprint's running over AT and T lines, they get a discounted rate, and then they turn around and sell to you. So they're like basically taking the juice off of it. um So what AT and T has said, no, we're going to ditch the discounts that we've been giving, and because we're in the process of moving to TCP IP and getting rid of the. Uh, legacy telephone connection. Um and there is one quote, "Oh man, where did it go? I want the
0: While quote you're looking hilarious. for that. I'll say the the this is all about what's called special access," air quotes there. Special access is something that doesn't really exist. It's basically um like the the interest rates that banks charge each other. It's that kind of thing. It's uh if you go over my it's the peering thing. So I'm going to go over your pipes sometimes and you're going to go over my pipes sometimes. So we're going to get together and we're going to agree on special access charges. You're special because we might need you later. So we're going to, we have a certain charge for special access and it's become sort of a unit among uh, telecommunications people they, they'll they have their contract that has special access charges and and regular so you and i use regular access but another broad broadband provider uses special access why would they do that because if i'm at&t and i'm pulling traffic from um netflix uh, i may need to go over a comcast pipe to do it so i'm going to rely on some of their special access to make that work and at&t was about to jack up the prices pretty significantly and the FCC said, nope this is a regulated thing this thing that you call special access we're regulating and you can't do it so they've suspended it for five months uh, to make uh, so the FCC can look into it
2: yeah um, in a recent congressional hearing AT&T senior VP James uh, Sicchiani was asked how his company could raise prices twenty four percent if it was operating in a con- in a competitive market and his response I don't think we've raised prices. I think we eliminated some rate plans. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) I mean, we didn't raise your price. We just eliminated your
0: discount. Yeah, that's right. We just cut the discounts. Yeah, I just thought that was funny. It's like, you know, everything costs less if you buy more of it. Everything. Right. That's just the way of the world. Uh, And AT&T has decided, nah, we're going to charge you the same price even though you're our biggest customer. We don't care.
2: Yeah. And again, in AT&T's, what they say is this is, um, it's legacy hardware and legacy communications. This is in the TCP IP, they don't get these rates. It's only when they're going over this old fashioned, um, hardware that they're trying to get rid of. So they're phasing out the pricing structure of that old hardware. Now, again, is that true or not? I don't know, but that is what they're saying.
0: And next up, the double tap has finally come to Go! Thank well,
2: God. Yes, Nokia <laughs> has officially uh stopped allowing developers to submit new applications or updates for the mobile operating systems, uh Migo and Symbian. Um but you know, Migo might be dead, but it will live on in the um Hala OS. So it was able to stick its progenity out there on the internet. So it will never truly die. Just come back better than ever. But yes, Nokia um they know you can't upload Migo apps anymore. They're they're a thing of the past now.
1: Oh long live ego
0: (laughs) in exciting news our friend michael larabelle over at Pharonics is saying that there may finally be an open source blu-ray decryption library ready for the masses
2: holy crap yes um apparently and this is um a story that's dated january the second um but there was an update released to uh vlans which if you've listened to the show that's my favorite rocks yes yeah that's my favorite video player vlan's lib blu-ray blu-ray library has begun supporting the bd-j java and other new functionality um so apparently it is now possible for playing back a blu-ray disc on linux it is still kind of difficult and kind of legally questionable questionable depending on your location you have to rig there's several things you have to require as far as extras and libraries, um, and you know just follow the link on our page over from and pull up the article over on Pharonics and it'll t- kind of tell you what you have, what you can do. And again, it may or may not be illegal depending on where you are, but Blu-ray might be coming to open source, which I think would be pretty cool.
0: Seth, I don't understand why you would say this is difficult. It's really simple. You install the LiveB Blu-ray, ACS and Plus VLC, MP Player, and XBMC, uh, and then you just need a database key, and you're good to go. <laughs> it,
2: it's easier to do than say, Mark. I, my tongue wouldn't <laughs> respond, and so it was hard to say. So that's why I was just saying, read the article.
0: Um. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to step out on a limb here, and I'm going to play the counterintuitive card. I think that when this happens, Blu-ray sales, sales will increase. I know I'll start buying Blu-rays from now on. Yeah. Um, I buy DVDs because I can rip them and put them on my media center. I don't buy Blu-rays because I can't. If I want to watch a Blu-ray, I have to take it to the one machine in my house that has a Blu-ray di- uh, drive on it and watch them in that one place. Can't watch them on my phone. Can't watch them on my media center. Can't watch them on my tablets. Can't watch them on my laptop. Well, one of the two laptops I can. I will start buying Blu-rays and get the movies. I'll get you know. I'll I'll re-buy Avengers. I will buy it again in Blu-ray to get it in HD. And I, I think that that's the thing that that uh, the media people don't get. They're trying to keep piracy down. They're not stopping piracy. They're stopping piracy of the HD. People are still pirating the DVDs. This isn't changing anything. Uh, And I think once this becomes uh, a big thing, DVD sales will actually increase. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
1: I think it's cool. I can't wait to see it happen.
2: You know what else I think would be cool, Mark?
1: What's that? Is
2: if there was only more um, variety in the Android marketplace.
0: You know, I've opined many times... That there just aren't enough Android tablets in the world, and I yeah, think well, finally DreamWorks, there may be a solution.
2: Yeah, DreamWorks has heard our longing and our desperate cry, and so they have said that they are going to be releasing their very own Dream Tab. Uh, it's an Android tablet coming this spring. Um, they've partnered with Fuhu. Um, the company, which is responsible for the Navy line of tablets. If you go to Walmart, they're like the ones kind of aimed. Well, they have like the Navy junior for like young kids. So they like have this whole model of progression. And from what I've seen of those, they're actually pretty good. Um, but the eight inch dream tab, it's going to cost under $300 according to the New York times. And the thing that's going to separate it apart. Uh, it will feature regularly updated original content based on DreamWorks characters. And, you know, it won't be something you have to go out and look for and download. You know, that's one of the things people who have tablets, you know, with, with Windows, there's a lot of, Oh my gosh, it's got to be an update. Do I want to install this updates? But when, when people have a tablet, they just kind of assume that, Oh, it's updating in the background and my apps update and it's no big deal. I'm just going to let it happen. So that's what's going to happen here is all the characters from all the different DreamWorks movies and cartoons that you know and love will show up on the dream tab. So. Obviously they're aiming it at children and you know, a whiny child can do a lot to make an adult buy a tablet. So, um, there you go. You know, you might see Shrek, um, the penguins of Madagascar, who knows what will show up. But, um, and you know, there could be a whole line of toys. Think like Skyrim for the PlayStation and Xbox or or Wii or whatever. And, there you go they're tying in they're doing they're kind of doing the whole amazon thing we're taking android but we're making it our own and it's supposed to come in the spring so it's just got to be right around the corner
0: uh you know and actually i'm not mad at this uh there while there are a lot of tablets in the world there aren't a lot specifically ruggedized and designed for kids you know i know this because i was looking for tablets for my kids and there are a few out there um what's the kindle one there's i think it's amazon anyway there's there there's a brand new one that i just saw out there uh but they're expensive uh and and that makes sense when you ruggedize components you do make them expensive uh but uh you know i'm i'm not mad at this even though there's a ton of other things out there in the world um having this this option is fine i like options uh you yeah, know what else is an option good. the java phone and it's sh- sh- jumping off the, the shelves. It's outsold the iPhone
2: and the Galaxy S4 and the high end Lumina. Um, if you live in Finland and use the DNA phone system, but still, <laughs> it's a big deal. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, Hala, which I think it's pronounced Hala, kind of like okay. hot, but you know, Hala. potato, potato, who knows? Um, the only, um, it's the only carrier currently selling the device, but it outsold the 5S, the 5C, the Galaxy S4, and every Lumina except one particular model. It ended up number five on their list, and the things that beat it were like super cheap phones. Um, like I say, except for this one thing. Um, uh, and again, that's where it's from. So you would expect it to do well there, but it shows that, you know, there is room in the marketplace at least for regional players to at least do well in their region. Um so while the market might be saturated, maybe it's not oversaturated. So shout out for Hala. Woohoo.
0: And you might not be aware of this Seth. I know this is uh this is not widely known. Uh but there are in fact from time to time unsubstantiated rumors on the internet. What? Really? It it has been known to happen. Uh, And so we've decided that we're from time to time going to bring you a section of unsubstantiated rumors. And this week's rumor is nothing new. They've been talking about it forever. Is that Ubuntu might be ditching the six-month release cycle.
2: Really? Tell me more, Mark. I'm intrigued.
0: (laughs) Well, Ubuntu has, has... been trapped by this artificial release cycle for a long time and and many people myself included have said that it's pretty stupid uh, to have this this artificial um, imposed updates uh, cycle and they're rushing things out to get them done or they're pushing things back and they're dropping major components i mean that's why uh, wayland didn't happen uh, was because they couldn't get it ready and they had a artificial deadline so Ubuntu developers are discussing whether or not they should ditch it. That's not new. They've been discussing it since roughly the 8th century. Uh, but the, here you go. The day
2: after they started it? Yes.
0: <laughs> well, cool. That so uh,
2: apparently, if if you believe the rumors, um, when, when are they saying? 14.10 could possibly be the last one, and then it would just go to as normal or never?
0: Yeah, I actually didn't bother to read the article. Uh, I didn't expect you to hand it back to me, Uh, so I was just making crap up as I went along,
2: which is what I do. Yeah, it's the rumor section, so we'll start our own rumors. We didn't say we didn't start them.
0: 15.04 is when they're saying they might decide that's the end of it. So uh, that's a, a year and a few months from now.
2: Yeah, so you know, I mean, I think... I think there was a time where they needed the, the deadline, the, the thing to get them to a, a polished point. But I'm like you, I don't know that it's doing, I don't know that it's doing more good than harm now. So,
0: yeah, I agree with that. Um, and other people have followed suit, which I think was a bad idea. Um, but yeah, yeah, we've talked about this before. Programmers need deadlines. I get yeah. that. Uh, if you just say, uh, uh, I, I think it was Linus Torvalds who famously said, "The, uh, the perfection is the enemy of good enough." Uh, and if you don't give programmers a deadline, they'll keep trying to perfect their code, even though it's been good enough for years. Um, so I, I get that. Uh, but you know, there's you got to find a balance. And when when you're missing deadlines. You know, we did a whole show about this, right? What happens uh, when when a major distro misses a deadline? Well, actually, nothing happens. So maybe it's time to just uh, do away with the deadlines. Yeah. Rolling release for yeah. the win. Yes. Arch, baby. <laughs> oh, and this week in tech history, uh, more patents.
2: Uh. Well, yeah, but this is an actual hardware patent. Uh, January the 8th, 1889, Herman Hollerith is issued U.S. patent 395,791 for the art of applying statistics for his punched card calculator. That happened, uh, the 8th. So the day the show drops, Herman Hollerith's patent was issued.
0: Okay, that, you know, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm going to comment on this next story, and it's just <laughs> that when I click the link on it, Forbes.com felt the need to pop up a DHTML banner telling me to scroll down to read the rest of the article. How dumb has the world become?
2: You don't. You don't want to ask that question, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> the answer will sadden you.
0: <laughs> so I think this, it
1: saddens everyone. <laughs> this, article, this article in fact, this article
0: that thinks i am too dumb to know i should scroll down to read the rest of the article is about how microsoft is afraid of the chromebook why they are and the numbers behind it
2: yes um you know and if you think about it you know we've talked before about the scroogled commercial with yes. the pawn stars which I just, I really love, I think it's a great commercial. You know, it's in the same vein of the uh, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC commercial. Very entertaining. Um, Not a lot of factual truth behind it. But um, the whole purpose of the Chromebook is the OS doesn't matter. You just got to get online because that's where all your stuff lives. And if Google wins that argument... There goes Microsoft's Windows operating system and there goes office because you'll just be using the cloud somewhere and maybe they can morph office into a truly online document, uh, an, an online thing like Google docs. But you know, if it doesn't matter what OS you're running, then there's no need to buy windows uh, on your computer. Uh, you can just do whatever, because all you're going to do is launch a browser or some app that's been pre-coded to run in HTML five that'll run in a browser anyway. And you know, Google Chromebooks, Granted, they are still a very small percentage of the overall computer market, but it is growing greatly. And like in Amazon, uh, two of the top three tablet, two of the top three selling computers were um, Chromebooks, and the third was my ASUS T100 uh, convertible tablet from Microsoft. Or you know, doing Windows 8. So you know, you can go through and quote a bunch of numbers, but I think Microsoft is right to be afraid of it, and they are right to get the message out there that, you know, what's inside the computer does matter because it's not all online. You know, especially for people like me who sometimes you can't get online and you need something on the computer to uh, tide you over. And um, I think they're right to be afraid of maybe not the Google Chromebook, but what the Google Chromebook represents. Right. Yeah. I, mean,
0: I just think it's odd that that was their target. You know, they, they could, they could pick at uh, Android phones. They could pick at the iPhone. There are a lot of other devices they could pick at. Oh, but wait a minute. They sell phones and tablets. So if they picked at tablets, that wouldn't work. Uh, so yeah, turns out there is only one animal that is exactly like them, but not exactly like them, and that's the Chromebook.
2: Yeah, because they don't have, they, they are not situated to get in the Chromebook marketplace. You know, to go after Google, to go after Android and iPhone, they have a product that is starting to be uh, competitive in terms of functionality and specs. To go after um, Mac OS or Linux desktop, they have a very refined and established brand. Um, but to go after just get online by any means necessary because all your data lives on the cloud. Well, all of a sudden, they become pretty irrelevant Um, at that point. You know, about the only thing they are is hosted exchange at that point. Um, Still a lot of money in that in the business world.
0: If they continue pushing to tablet interfaces, they will make themselves irrelevant. Yeah. So they're really fighting against themselves.
2: Well, no, because they have, you know, and and again – That they have a comparable product and then they're like, they're fighting the same thing, you know, versus the, the Chrome OS that they're, they're fighting a totally different animal that's threatening to come into their ecosystem and ravage it. Whereas fighting Android or fighting iOS, well, they have their mobile OS, which, you know, in terms of market share and word on the street sucks, but If you were to just hand somebody who had never had one before, all three of them, well, you know, each one has their strengths and weaknesses.
0: That's true. All right, I think we've beaten that horse sufficiently to death. Uh, And it's time to move on to our favorite part of the show, kind of, our ad, where we tell you about Linux Academy. Um, That was the worst intro ever. To a Linux Academy ad. I apologize not only to Anthony, but to all of our listeners and to you and and Chris and Seth for uh, making you sit through that. But having done that. Hey, Mark. Yes.
2: Mark. Yes. What if somebody wanted to learn how to use Linux so they could grow in their knowledge as a person and maybe even get a better job? Would you happen to know anything (laughs) that they could do to learn it?
0: What an amazing unrelated unrequested uh, requested question uh that just happened to pop up there because yes as a matter of fact i do know of just a perfect place and that is our friends over at linuxacademy.com uh, we're so proud that once again they've decided to uh sponsor us this week on the on the what is the name of the show everyday linux that's it um the linux academy is like no place um in the world in terms of of uh, quality and responsiveness and like no place in the world in terms of cost-effectiveness, but like many places in the world in terms of high-quality education, Linux Academy is as good as any of those other sites out there. Better than many. What do they have? They have step-by-step video courses that take you from being uh, a computer novice well, we'll say an, uh, a, a computer um, intermediate a Linux novice to being a Linux administrator when you go through their courses. Now, you think that's a long road from, from novice to administrator. Well, they've got more than 200 videos to take you from point A to point B. They've got hundreds of hours of, of content out there. But it's not just videos. You're not just watching a drive. A lot of people do that. Khan Academy is awesome about that. Lots of videos. Lots of people do that. You can go to YouTube and learn just about anything. But what you can't get on YouTube, what you can't get at Khan Academy, is you can't get the uh, the PDF downloadable study guides that they have. You can't get the uh, the uh, practice exams and the quizzes, and you can't get their lesson browser that ties all those things together and tracks the videos you've watched and tracks the tests that you've taken and the scores that you've made on those tests. And, and, and you, what you can't get at those other places is time-coded uh, companion devices that say, at this point in this video, at 1056 of the video entitled uh, Command Line, ninja stuff. Um, this is where you'll find this piece of information. You're not going to get that anywhere else, but only at the Linux Academy. I don't know that I can prove that because I haven't been to the other sites, but I know you do find that at the Linux Academy because um, Anthony and his team have worked hard to not only make this learning exceptionally high quality, but also ex- exceptionally accessible. It's It's down home, regular people using everyday English words. They actually speak English to you about these oh complicated God. steps and not only do you get the pdf study guys and the quizzes and all that but they give you a safe environment to play with all this stuff you get your own linux lab with up to eight different servers that you can trash to your heart's content without causing any problems chris will not call you and yell at you for zeroing out his hard drives because they're virtual well, machines <laughs> they're virtual machines hosted on amazon's uh cloud services so they boot in zero percent of a second, they're they're immediate, they're fast. You can you can do everything you need to do. Oh, and because they're so tightly integrated with Amazon Web Services, and they know such about uh, so much about it, you can actually get some education about that too, not just about Linux, but about Amazon Web Services. You can take their module that will lead you to be certified in that. And yes, there are places in the world where having an Amazon Web Services certification is a big deal. Certification is the new uh, black. Everybody wants you to be certified. Everybody's looking for letters after your name. And it used to be PhD or MS or BS, but today it's things like LPIC Level 1 and things like uh, CompTIA Linux Plus. Those are the things that people are looking for, and you can get a jump start on all of that sort of stuff at the Linux Academy. How much are you going to pay for all this? How about a buck? How about one good old American saw buck? To get you started for a dollar you get a 14 day free trial C A R P wants to look around do what you want to do look at all the the study guides look at the videos download videos have a blast for two weeks and at the end of that two weeks And Anthony and I are both pretty confident that you're going to decide to stick around. That's when he can really screw you to the wall. That's when he can charge you thousands of dollars, and he could because it's worth it. But he doesn't. Instead, he charges you nineteen dollars a month, and as if that wasn't a bonus uh, big enough, it's like the Ginsu knives. But wait, now how much would you pay? Not only is it only nineteen dollars a month, but if you buy two months, he'll throw in a third one for free. Just pay processing. No. Really, th- th- uh, for three months, you get a quarter for only $38. By two months, th- uh, throw in a third one free. So that means you get a full-on year of learning for like 150 bucks. Why would you not do this? There is no reason why you wouldn't do this. Go do it. com. Use the uh, referral code EverydayLinux when you sign up and let them know we sent you.
2: You know, Definitely. while you were... Going through the copy mark, I Googled Linux training and I found a website that will do just a fundamentals course that will take you from being a Linux newbie to someone who feels comfortable using Linux for their everyday needs. And that one single course was $99 and that $99 gives you access to that course and to the instructors of that course via email for six months. So ninety nine dollars for six months for one course that will take you to a user versus how much for a quarter?
0: Thirty-eight dollars a quarter.
2: Thirty-eight dollars for a quarter that will take you all the way to administrator and prepare you for certification. Um and again, so comparing apples
0: to apples there, it's half price. It's forty bucks for six months. It's
2: more than that because you're getting to know more than just how to use it as an end user. Um, and again, I, I just, I just Googled Linux training and looked through some of the results and I found one with the pricing. And so, you know, again, for an, what Anthony is giving you is so much better at such a great price. I don't know how much longer till he raises his rates. And if he raises his rates, we'll still support them because it's still a great price.
0: And yes, I can do math. It's $76 for six months. That's not half price. I was using hyperbole. You do that in advertising. Maybe you've heard of it. So thanks, Linux Academy, for sponsoring us. We're we're not only excited about the money that you give us every month. We're excited about that check, let's be honest. Uh, but also, yeah. we're excited to be partnered with such great content and such great people. Uh, and, you know, that's that's what's excites us. Uh, if, if If this were an ad for Microsoft, I'd still take their money, but I guarantee I wouldn't do a seven-minute spot about it.
1: No kidding.
2: (laughs) Well, unless they paid for a seven-minute spot, then we would.
0: (laughs) They would pay a lot for that. So, all right, now it's time for the Chris Show. Woo! No, just kidding. Uh, Yeah, so it's time
1: for Linux Mint Cinnamon. At least that's what I use today. So any quick questions before I get into the deep and gory details?
0: All right, so you're on Linux Mint 16, the Cinnamon version, not their their classic Mint version. It's You had to go out and get the Cinnamon version. Cinnamon, remind people what that is.
1: Cinnamon is the reimagining of GNOME 3.
0: All right. So the standard Mint version is still running GNOME 2, right?
1: It's Mate. Yeah, it's Mate. it's the, the rebuild of Mate, of GNOME 2, which is Mate. Right. Um, I picked up the Cinnamon version. Instead of the XFCE or the KDE version, I figured I'd live a little different this time. So. And ha Chris is a
0: avowed Gnome 3 hater. Let's not forget. I am.
1: I am. I am very much a Gnome 3 hater. Um, I am a KDE, um, zealot, as, as I've been called in past chat room occurrences. Um, so I figured I would live a little differently and, and try, uh, Linux Mint Cinnamon. And so, like Mark was saying earlier, the install steps are as simple and boiled down as you can possibly get them. Uh, I think there, I think your your five click analogy is pretty close, Mark. I think there's six if you include a couple of extra clicks here and there. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty straightforward, especially if you're just wiping the drive clean and putting uh, Mint on it as a primary OS. If you're resizing. It's a couple extra steps, nothing too crazy. Um, if you've done one Linux install, you you can do this one. Uh, the only thing that you might want to remember is that this is a DVD install, not a CD install. So make sure you have DVD burner to burn it in it's DVD in your device that you're putting it in. Um, and
0: and one of the reasons for that is uh, it meant like um, like Fedora and like some others is a kitchen sink. Installer. It gives you everything you need right out of the box. You don't have to like with uh, say uh, stock um, Red Hat. The first thing you have to do is go download some stuff. That's yeah. not the case with Mint.
1: And the Mint Linux Mint adds a lot of stuff included, such as you know the codec packs, Flash, and Java. That's all built in. So you're your you're. Bar, you're Your point from say install to full running of a Linux desktop with full codec support is very short in comparison to other installs. Um, I was very, which, you know, there, there is some legal mumbo jumbo there, depending on your, your, um, you know, place of of living. You may, you may be breaking some laws there, but
0: that's, that's one of the things I always throw up about Mint. All right. So in the U.S., it's illegal to distribute. Um, flash and java and those other things except via in their native form unbundled so yep. what mint does is illegal in the u.s they're not based in the u.s it's not illegal for you to receive it it's not illegal for you to grab mint and download it um but you, you but the mint guy so there's you're playing uh international loophole so if yep. the mint guys were based in the u.s and technically if you download it from a U.S.-based server, then they're breaking the law, or whoever has hosted that server is breaking the law. But these are, th- this is not so much law as it is license agreements. Right.
1: And yeah, all they all Mint would have to do is go in and, and sign up to be a distributor for Java and Flash and the codex. Well, maybe not the codex, but for Java and Flash, for sure, because they are freely downloadable. Um, right. I'm not... sure on all the codecs that they've bundled in, but because I pretty much haven't been able to find a a video format that I can't play um, natively, so uh, I'm I'm wondering if they're just running every codec pack installed instead of just the ones that are freely available to download. Um, But I was very impressed with, A, the performance and uh, because Remember, I'm running this on a really low-end laptop, and I've done the install twice. Once on a standard spinning disk on a Western Digital Blacks drive, and then once on a solid-state drive. Um, A big difference between the two for obvious reasons with the hard drive, but even with the spinning disk, the performance was actually surprisingly good when it came to the interaction of of the, the desktop with my... You know, like clicking on this icon and seeing how long it took for things to pop up or when you press the Windows key, how long it takes for the Windows menu to pop up, which the, that's one of my biggest irritations when it comes to, um, XFCE or KDE is it, it's harder to bind the Windows key to a menu than it is, you know, in this particular instance, the Windows key is already bound to opening up the, uh, the window, the cinnamon, um, Windowing interface. I'm still not a fan of the the start menu or the mint menu or whatever they, you want to call that thing. Um, it's cleaner now. They've they've made it um, visually. It looks a lot nicer. Uh, all everything has been kind of gone through with a fine tooth comb, and I've only been able to find a couple of weird graphical glitches um, when it comes to the interface itself and how it functions. Uh, the one that really Kind of made me stumble a little bit was the way Pigeon interacts with the cinnamon desktop. Uh, I've had a couple of times, you know, on both installs where Pigeon was running, and then all of a sudden the little icon for Pigeon disappeared out of the out of the, the system menu. Um, it was still there. It you know you click on the empty space and you get the Pigeon menu, but it was just weird that the icon all of a sudden just disappeared for no apparent reason. Um, as far as installing software, it's really straightforward. Like it's always been the, the mint installer, uh, does 99% of the stuff without too much of a hiccup. I did run into a couple of issues where in installing packages that I've downloaded from inner from the internet, like, uh, the team viewer, uh, installer for some reason, it just did not want to install for me when I just double click the dev file. If I went into a terminal and ran the the installer from the terminal, it went fine. But for some reason, when when I double clicked it, it just kind of sat there and did nothing. Now, Maybe that's just my problem.
0: For people who aren't uh, experienced with Cinnamon, give us a, an idea of of the functionality of it. So, in in typical GNOME, you're going to have uh, you know your toolbar at the top and your toolbar at the bottom. Um, yeah, and in, GNOME 2, you know, yep. in, in, uh, KDE, you're gonna have your toolbar at the bottom with the big, you know, gear menu. What does, what does Cinnamon look like?
1: Uh, Cinnamon takes more pages out of the KDE desktop when it comes, if you're comparing GNOME 2 and, and KDE to Cinnamon. It's more like, um, the, no, the KDE desktop. You have it on the bottom. Um, they default to no virtual desktop icons in the taskbar. Um, you have to use a hot corner, which is the upper, was it left corner, is the hot corner, to get to your virtualized desktops. Um, which takes a little bit to get used to. Uh, you can use the key commands, the, the control alt and then left arrow, control alt right arrow, to jump between the different interfaces, uh, the, your different virtual desktops, which, it's okay. I don't mind doing that, but I wish it was said somewhere. You know, like, um, in the, like, when GNOME 3 first starts, it says, Hey, here's a quick little tutorial. Even if they did something simple like that to say, Hey, virtual desktops are done this way, it would eliminate a couple of things. Cause I had a friend of mine sit in front of the machine and they, by accident, switched desktops so that their web browser was still running, but it was in a different, on a different desktop and they thought that they broke it. So they were, yeah, they, it was just one of those things that they didn't know about virtual desktops. So once I showed them what it was, they are like, oh, well, that makes sense. Now I understand what's going on. Because they had like 15 browser windows open and only half of them were on one desktop and the other half were on the other. Because every time they, they mouse scrolled on the desktop, it jumped them. it jumped on them and they didn't know what had happened. And so they were a little confused. And that might have just been because I, at that particular time had mouse roll set up on the uh, to the desktop um, but having something simple as you know do this for the hot corner or even an animation you know like in in uh, gnome three when you hit the the hot corner for gnome three, you get the weird little ripple mm-hmm. across the corner, something to give you an indication that you've hit a hot corner or even just lighting up the corner like KDE does just so you know that there's something there. Would be nice. Um, and once you've got Windows
0: open, uh, it's it's your basic minimize, maximize, close buttons, and your yep. file menu, and all that stuff is the Nomi goodness that we know and love.
1: Yeah, and they don't use Nautilus, which surprised me. Um, they they home rolled their own little file server in. It's using um, Nemo, which I, honestly I don't know how long Nemo has been around. Um, but it's a. I would say it looks just like old school Nautilus. You know, the old F3 key works. The uh, I've had a little bit of issues with browsing network shares, but I think that's just because I don't have all the the bits and pieces installed for Samba. But as far as base level functionality, um, if I wanted Grandma to use this, she would be able to function as long as she knew what the icons were or had an idea of you know oh i need to go on the internet because the the titling of all the application categories are very straightforward um internet graphics games they're very deliberately labeled which is good um but there like i said there are a few things that just i wish they would have thought a little bit more thorough especially when it comes to you know some of the hot corners uh that that was the biggest one the biggest stumbling block was for me to realize oh wait there's a hot corner. I have to use it. Um,
0: all right. Quick video. overall impressions one to ten. Ten being the perfect desktop, one being first generation of Unity. Uh, where, yeah. where does this fall in? Um, I would rate it at a nice solid eight. Um, oh, this is nice. probably the
1: best install of Mint I've ever seen. Um, graphically, all the icons look appropriate for the desktop. Um, I've only seen, like I said, a couple of graphic glitches, but I don't know if that's my hardware and not the install. Um, all in all, I'm very impressed with it. Um, I'm gonna let it, I'm gonna let it burn a little bit longer on the laptop before I flip, it, before I flip something else into it. But all in all, I'm, in, I'm fairly well impressed. Uh, I kind of wish that there were a little more, uh, you know, the Debian package base is pretty large. But it's becoming dwarfed by the open repositories, so it'd be nice to see some more of the uh some of the other programs out there in the in the internet getting bundled into the repositories, which I think would be nice um something like Team Viewer, which is freely available to download. Why isn't it in the repository uh copy dot com Another one that's in this open um, OpenSUSE repository, but not in Mint's repository. Uh, I'd have to check Ubuntu to see if it's in theirs, but I know I have seen it in a repository at least once, and I believe it was OpenSUSE that had it. Uh, the, just little things like that that would make things nicer to reinstall. Um, but like I said, overall, I, I give it an 8. I'm very impressed with it.
0: Good speed, good performance, stays out of
1: your way? It does, it does. Um, but like I said, I don't know if some of the graphical glitches were just my hardware driven, you know, um, where if I have a bunch of windows, cause I'm horrible about multitasking, I'll have 50 windows open, not even being, and not even think about it. Um, it, it's kind of, the graphical interface kind of gets a little chuggy, but nothing more than I've ever seen on different installs. So I, I'm, I'm chalking it up to my graphics card, just not being able to handle all of the, the cinnamon goodness. Um, I did install the xfce counterpoint on a different machine, not on the test laptop, but on a different machine because I wanted to see how the XFC interface works. Um, it as well is nice and, and graphically pleasing the It's xfce so it runs nice and lean and really fast. Um, I have found though that some of the Bluetooth packages have been um, omitted. So bluetooth connectivity is very res- restricted in this particular version of Ubuntu or of of Mint and also in Ubuntu. So I'm wondering if the packages are just waiting to be approved before they go into the the distri- into the repos, but for some reason in XFCE there is no bluetooth applet. So connecting anything to bluetooth is a chore, you have to do it command line driven, which it, it, it's doable it's just not easy
0: all right so and just uh to, to recap one of the reasons that mint is the favorite of the the hosts of the show and of the show in general is um it's purdy uh they they've they really put a lot of effort into making it visually and aesthetically pleasing um it has everything you need from the start and they Are more active at making stuff better than most of the other communities. A lot of them will take whatever their downstream hands them. Um, uh, The cinnamon, uh, the mint community doesn't do that. They take what Ubuntu gives them. They build on that, but then they really actively work on it, and um, and it's free. So you know that's a bonus too.
1: Yeah. The only other thing that I've ever noticed the the small issue I've ever had with Mint is the way they do their. Uh, package grouping of one, two, three, four, five. Uh, I don't know if you remember seeing that mark when you were last time you ran Mint, but the the whole these are supposedly a hundred percent safe to install. These are mediocre. These are dangerous, right. and these are well a lot of times, and not so much now, but a couple of releases ago, they got some pretty big knocks from the security community because they were marking security release stuff as dangerous when they were security things that fixed flaws. And I don't know if it was that they mislabeled them or if it was there was too many uh, occurrences of people you know, having broken machines because I know right. Mint, Mint falls more on the lines of it will always work, not bleeding edge. Um, they're more and, and, cutting you know, edge.
0: Any, anybody who's ever been a, a, an admin for a large network knows that security patches do break things. Yep. So it's it's not inappropriate for you to label a security patch as dangerous. Uh, all, right. all IT guys treat them as dangerous. We silo them. We take them off onto one machine and we test it before we roll it out.
1: Right. Right. And that's that's fine. I just want people to be aware of that. That there some of those security patches that are marked dangerous may be dangerous, but they may also be um, needed. So definitely. Do your due diligence before installing or just poo-pooing them, saying, "Oh, well, if they're marked dangerous, I'm not going to touch them," because right. there may be there may be dragons at the end of the map when it comes to bleeding edge software patches. But you also have to be careful. There are n- monsters on the internet that will make those dragons seem like you know butterflies.
0: And just for the record, no, we have not lost Seth's connection. He's been here all along.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: all right any other uh thoughts or comments on mint before we put a pin in it
1: uh do you guys have any other questions for me about it um the only other thing that i I will make a comment on before i i let you guys have at me is uh the sound menu is a little a little it's not hard to get used to but it is definitely not the typical sound menu so Be wary of of running Windows or applications that use any sound stuff that you might need to get to, because there it's just. I understand why they they kind of bundled the volume control and the audio controls all together in the same place, but when you're not used to it or haven't been a Mint user for a long time, and all of a sudden you go to click on, say, you know, my Pythos connection. And Pythos icon is not in the taskbar. It's inside the sound menu. It, it's just kind of one of those things that's like, oh, okay, that's where that went. Right. So, well,
0: you know, and let's not forget that uh, the entire reason for the existence of Cinnamon is to make the mess that is GNOME 3 usable. So the yeah. fact that you, you have only a few complaints is actually a pretty big uh, kudos.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually really, when I first thought about doing this, I was expecting it to become a bash fest. Like the last time I installed Mint, because the last time I played with Mint, it was bad. Um, and this time it's much better. Um, I'm actually debating on leaving it on one of my machines as the primary OS for it.
0: Linux Mint, we got better. <laughs> Um, that's it. I don't think there's anything I have to say. Uh, Seth, uh, would you like to add any more insouciant commentary?
2: Chris, did you um, install either uh, Chrome or Firefox by any chance, or Chromium, I guess?
1: Uh, I did. Well, Firefox comes bundled in, uh, and then I did install Chrome on a different machine, not my test box. But I did install both.
2: Did you put any plugins, install any plugins with your Firefox? Cause sometimes, um, Linux, some plugins don't work quite as like the, like you think they would. I was just wondering if you did that, if you had any issues or was it just regular Firefox like a Windows user would be used to?
1: Um, see, I didn't manually install any of the plugins because I have Firefox sync. So they, I, I attached, I attached it like I normally do and they, Plugins installed and it seemed to work just like it's always worked. Um, it does, you, you do have to remember that when you're doing anything with a, the syncing properties, um, that you have to remember to restart Firefox or Chromium or Chrome for that matter. And if you're using LastPass, that there is a, uh, a new thing you have to do for LastPass to run in Chrome when it comes to Linux. So there is that get you that you have to make sure you follow the steps, and they walk you through how to do it, the LastPass guys do, and they even tell you this is how you install this type of a package because it's it's just a, a, a .sh file that you have to run for LastPass to work. Um, and that's more, when I investigated that a little bit, it's the way Chrome has changed the way third parties can update their own packages And the patch that you have to run allows LastPass to do its job.
2: Cool. All
0: right. Okay. I think think we're going to leave it at that and move on to our links of the week. And I see that Chris's link is conspicuously blank this week.
1: For That's obvious right. reasons.
0: <laughs> he did the whole show. Uh, well, the, the topic part, anyway. So I guess we can throw him, uh, cut him a little slack on that one. Seth, what do you got for us this week?
2: Okay. Well, last week I went fun. So this week I'm going to be serious and helpful. And if you want to get into programming and you're like, I would like to learn how to code, but I don't know how. Well, you can go over to code.org slash learn and, and you can click on learn an hour of code. And basically it's they kind of use angry birds and plants versus jump jo- plants versus zombies. And you go through and you tell, you know, either the bird or the zombie how to move to a to get to its destination, you know, move right, move right, turn, rotate some if then statements and you it shows you how you can like make loops in your program to repeat actions and i would i would say give it a try like if especially if you have a kid and you and they show any interest in it and you're like well i might like to teach on programming but i don't know how go through this I, anybody can do it i mean if you've got it doesn't even take an hour you can just you know it takes like 30 minutes and go through and if they like this Look for a program called Scratch on the internet mm-hmm. and then use Scratch to really learn that. And again, you're not so much learning programming, but you're learning logic and structure and flow. You know, if you think flow charts and if then statements, you're learning how to think that way so that any programming language you learn, you will have that framework in place. So code.org slash learn for your beginning hour of coding, uh, instruction. And if you like that, then like I say, just Google Scratch it's from MIT and then once you've mastered that then you're ready to learn code and you won't have to like you know it's not like learning a foreign language at that point you're just learning how to do it so pretty cool stuff uh like I said I went through this in about 30 minutes I thought it was pretty cool give it a try take a look it's like a game so you can trick your kid into uh learning something maybe wait (laughs) until like spring break um or some other time when the kid's going crazy, and then show them this neat, cool game to learn. That's all I got.
0: My daughter is big into Scratch. Um, and she's eleven. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I'm I'm actually playing with it right now, which is why I'm distracted. Uh, <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's take it teaches you the the logical steps. Programming is just putting logic in code. Uh and that's what it's good for. It it I'm assuming it's going to get more advanced as you go. Um but uh yeah, it's a neat idea. Good for Yeah, codes.
2: it does. You know, at first you're just like do turn right and then turn left. And then eventually you can like put a repeater thing. And I don't remember what it's technically called. And there's little videos between each level where people like Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or famous actors or athletes will in, will introduce the concept. And it's just like a short little two or three minute YouTube video. Um, and they're just telling you about the concept and then you put it in motion. So it, it's pretty hmm. neat. And, um, yeah, I think it would hold a young person's attention at least for that first lesson.
0: I was I was giving my my daughter an object lesson in in understanding the steps, seeing the steps. I call it, uh, and and we were talking about. I said, "Okay, t- tell me how to make lemonade." And she said, "Well, you mix lemon uh, lemon juice and water and sugar." No, no, no. The first step to making lemonade is planting a seed. You gotta see the steps. <laughs> Um, and that's what okay. uh, that's what these things are are all are useful for. But great, good stuff, Seth.
2: Yeah, it's just, you know, most people know how to do it, but you talk and you think in shorthand and you skip steps. Right. Where at, And usually that's where you make the mistake. You assume something and you skipped it. Whereas if you were to take the time and write out all the steps, you know, it's like if you've ever given somebody directions to your house before Google Maps, you know, you had to say, go right, two blocks, turn. left. You had to be specific in the directions. And that's basically all coding is.
0: And, you know, computers are stupid. They're, it's just a box of rocks, but it's a box of very fast rocks. <laughs> and it will do exactly you
2: what you tell it to do, not what you thought you told it to do. Yes. Or what you meant to tell it to do.
0: Computers never make mistakes. Coders make mistakes. Yeah. Um Alright, I think that's it. That's our show, folks. So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. If you want to be one of the guys at the top of the show when we get to the yeah, feedback. Sorry, you, Thank feedback. you. Um, I'm gonna That was terrible and unpleasant and hurt my ears. Uh, if you want to be one of the guys at the top of the show under the heading Listener Feedback, the way you do that is you go over to elementop.com. You click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That'll send a, a tidy little email to me. Uh, or you can email us directly at EDL at LMNOP.com. That goes to all three of us. Or if you want to have your own dulcet tones right here sharing our podcast bits, um, you can do that um, by using the Leave Us a Voicemail widget at the top of the the page, or just pick up your phone anywhere in the continental North American landmass and dial 559 IAMOP. That'll connect you to our Google Voice account. You leave us a message, we'll play it on the show, unless you're a telemarketer. And then we might still play it on the show and make fun of you. So would be uh, those awesome. are all the ways. Also, don't forget about the forums. Bad Movie Forum hasn't been updated lately. Come on, guys. You're slacking. It's the holidays. I know you've been watching bad movies. That's what holidays are for. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, other things out there. And, and, and again, go give money to Kung Fury. Do it. Um, I think that's it. I don't have anything else else to say other than thank you for being a listener. Uh, We literally do this just for you. You're the reason we do it. Uh, It's great to hear from you. It's great to see those downloads numbers. It's great to know that people actually care about this hour and a half we spend together each week. So uh, thank you for being a listener, Chris, Seth. As always, thanks for being the consummate professionals that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.